0: My major pain has has been invisible.
1: The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever
0: think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with author Alexis Klein about her chronic illness journey and her new book, Compass Points the Way. The main character in this book has to give up her dreams of someday becoming a professional soccer player— when she is suddenly stricken with a mysterious illness soon revealed to be POTS or Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. Like the character in her book, Alexis also had to give up her dreams of becoming a soccer star. But her chronic illness is actually still a mystery. She's been diagnosed with a mysterious form of dysautonomia, but her doctors have not been able to pinpoint exactly which form. She has several other diagnoses under her belt, including a Chiari malformation and small fiber neuropathy, In fact, the neurologist who diagnosed Alexis with small fiber neuropathy refused to continue treatment in an example of completely atrocious behavior by a doctor, and I'll let Alexis share the details with you. It's also been brought up that she may have chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalomyelitis, but her doctors believe there's some condition underlying all of this, that her diagnoses so far are comorbidities of some other condition, but what that condition is they have not been able to discern. As I mentioned, Alexis recently published a book called Compass Points the Way. And a main theme in this book is the main character, Allie, learning how to let go of her dreams of being a professional soccer star and switching gears to find new passions and new meaning in life. And that's exactly what Alexis did in her own life and what brought her to be an author. Almost all of us who live with a chronic illness have been through this mourning period of mourning something in our lives that we loved that we lost because of our chronic illness. But over time, many of us learn to find happiness in a new way, learning how to accept the use of mobility aids, learning how to work in concert with your body instead of fighting against it, and sometimes learning how to let go of dreams, only to find new ones that you never thought to pursue. These are massively important things, and Alexis did a stellar job talking about it on the show today. We had a, you know, a good old-fashioned commiseration session, talking about the things that we've had to leave behind but also the new paths that we've discovered inside of chronic illness. I love this conversation. I love talking to Alexis. I'm thrilled to share it with you today. Before we jump into our interview, I will remind you of a couple of ways that you can support this podcast if you are enjoying it. We absolutely need your support. And one of the best and easiest ways you can support this show is by leaving us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts, positive rating on Spotify or on any other platform on which you can find this show. I know I, for one, use Podcast Republic because I'm an Android user, and I just really like the way that app is laid out, and you can actually leave positive ratings and reviews on Podcast Republic. This is a great way to help other people find the show, to help this podcast show up in search results, and to provide your feedback about this podcast. If you'd like to support this show in a way where you can actually earn some money at the same time, make sure to check out our link for Rare Patient Voice, rarepatientvoice.com slash Podcast. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. If you sign up through that link for Rare Patient Voice, you can participate in research studies and surveys that will help benefit the community that shares your diagnosis. This can be any diagnosis. It does not have to be a rare disease. You can also sign up under multiple diagnoses and raise the possibility that you will be contacted to participate in a research study or survey. If you are contacted to be in a study or survey, you can earn an average of $100 per hour providing your expertise about your own diagnosis. And for every person who signs up, this show receives a $10 Amazon gift card, and those really add up and help me personally to purchase the supplements that I need for my own chronic illness. We also very much need your financial support to keep this show going, and there's two ways to do so. One is through direct donations through PayPal. You can use our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com, to leave a donation through PayPal, or you can sign up for monthly recurring financial contributions through Patreon which is a fantastic website. Head to patreon.com/majorpainpodcast to sign up. There are 3 tiers of support: the $2 per month supporter tier, $7 per month patron tier, and the $25 per month producer tier. There are different levels of recognition and gifts for each tier, and everybody gets monthly bonus content in the form of bonus episodes featuring myself and my partner Andy catching you up on our lives behind the scenes, and of course talking about our favorite TV and movies that we're watching. The bonus episodes are super fun, I get great feedback about them, and I hope you will check out our Patreon campaign. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers, who are going above and beyond to support this show financially each and every month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. I'll remind you before we jump into our episode today that my guest and I are not medical professionals. Please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this show without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic episode with Alexis about her mysterious chronic illness and her new book, Compass Points the Way. Alexis, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to chat today. Uh, you are, I think, the second author that we've talked to, well, third if we're counting children's books. Um, I love being contacted by people who are channeling their chronic illness experience into creative work, and I'm really excited to pick your brain a little bit about that today, as well as hear about your health journey. But before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit. So, Alexis, why don't you tell us about yourself?
1: Okay, Um well, my name is Alexis Klein, as you mentioned. Um, I'm a writer. I uh, recently wrote a book called Compass Points the Way. It's like a middle grade fiction book, um, but it's really good for kind of the whole family and friends group of anyone going through a chronic illness. Um, this focus particularly on POTS. But um, you know, I think most of us in the chronic illness community have found that we can find a lot of commonalities across many diagnoses. Um, certainly your podcast has shown that. Um, so that's what I do. Um, that's why what brought me here. Um, aside from that, I am a wife, a fantasy football fanatic, <laughs> and a hobby photographer.
0: Oh, very cool. Um, what sort of photography do you like to do?
1: Nature, mostly.
0: Awesome, yeah. My dad uh, is a was a professional photographer. He's retired now. Um, oh, nice. So yeah, I grew up around. You know, he had a photo studio, and I was his assistant sometimes for different shoots, and um, yeah, photography is such a cool field.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: So I actually had the opportunity to read a chunk of your book. So I, I know it's about um, you know a thirteen-year-old, thirteen, right in the book, thirteen or fourteen.
1: Yeah, she's 12 at the very beginning,
0: has her 13th birthday, and a
1: little
0: way in. Yeah, and she's a soccer player who um, suddenly develops a a mystery illness, which is then discovered to be POTS, and, you know, as someone, myself with a chronic illness that has been very mysterious for most of my life, you know, the whole idea of, like, going to the doctor and having all these tests done and having it keep coming back with nothing is wrong, wrong, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. That's very much, you know, what my story was as well. And I very much related to that and the frustration of that. Um, The thing that really stuck out about the book so far to me was the relationship with uh, Compass, the dog, which I found to be really special. You know, my my dog Miles passed away uh, at 17 um, and he was such a huge part of getting me through my chronic illness and seeing this, you know, this young teenager developing a relationship with a dog that's kind of getting her through her chronic illness. I thought it was a really special uh, part of the story. Um, the dog being named Compass, and, you know, Compass points the way, sort of a reference to this dog um, helping the main character to find new ways to deal with their own chronic illness. So, I, I, really, I, I really appreciate a lot of the themes that you're working with in the book.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Yes, um, really, when I wrote the book, I wrote it, um, kind of as a tribute to my dog who passed away who mm. really did help me through my journey and kind of got me to where I am today um, so i really didn't like set out to write a book about a chronic illness i set out to write a book about a dog and yeah. um, so on a for me personally that's what the story is about it was about the dog but obviously there's a lot more in in it
0: yeah than that. and i think that i think that comes through i think that's a really special relationship in the story. I think I'm about a third of the way through. I appreciated you sending over a review copy for me, which, um, which is exciting. So, I think we all need to express what it is that we've experienced through chronic illness in some way or another. I think bottling it up and hiding it away is sort of what we're taught to do. But I think that we really need to break out of that and find ways to talk about it, whether it's through fiction or through you know storytelling or through just talking to other people or just being willing to tell your own story. I think that's just such an important piece of the chronic illness puzzle.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and bottling up t- tends to be my, my go-to. Um, <laughs> so, uh, doing it in a fiction way where I can kind of be like, this isn't about me, but a lot of my experiences are in it. Um, it was very cathartic, for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, that brings me to my big question, because um, I'm curious to see how your chronic illness journey matches with your fictionalized version or, or how similar or how different. But I don't know too much about your own history and your story. So, let's get into that. So, Alexis, what is your major pain?
1: My major pain is some kind of undiagnosed form of dysautonomia.
0: Really? So,
1: yes. So, in the book, um, like I said, I focus on POTS. I don't actually meet the markers on the tilt table test mm. to have... Um, POTS. They said I have slight tachycardia, but I'm not high enough, not bad enough to be considered POTS. So it's just this general form of dysautonomia that they can't quite pin down. And um, that's not really a full diagnosis. So I've still been searching.
0: Wow, that's so frustrating. And I, I absolutely know what yes. that feels like. You know, I'm, I'm just now possibly circling a diagnosis which I have done many times in the past. Um, so I, you know, you never count anything until it's confirmed. Um, but I'm very familiar with knowing that something is wrong and not having doctors be able to pinpoint it. So when when did this start for you? How old were you?
1: So I was 12 and I was at soccer tryouts. Mm. So um, kind of mirrors the book. Um, I was actually, so I was on a club team and I was on a, like a select tournament team. And I was at, um, tryouts for the school team. I just got into an age where middle school soccer was starting and um, tryouts was probably about like five, five days and somewhere in the middle there, I just started to feel terrible and uh, uh, tired and weak and sore just in the middle of nowhere and I uh, had to have my dad come pick me up from tryouts and uh, went to the doctors and they said it was mono which is, um, I don't know what it is about this virus. I mean, uh, it really seems to trigger a lot of chronic illnesses. Mm -hmm. Um, CFS and POTS are two that are very common to come out of this. And um, I never got better. And um, that kind of started me on the journey. I just kept getting worse and developing new symptoms over time.
0: Interesting. So we've had several great episodes about... Um, CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome, also known as myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is thought to be like a post-viral issue that stems from having a common viral illness. And people are even talking about long COVID as potentially a new form of of CFS. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious, if you, if you have mono and you got that illness and you never got better, but it sounds like you have not been categorized as being in that CFS uh, community or categorized more as a undiagnosed form of dysautonomia so is there a distinction in there that your doctors have made for you
1: so the idea of a cfs diagnosis has been kind of talked about in passing more in like the past five years i would say um but because they consider that a symptom of dysautonomia fatigue is a common problem with those with dysautonomia They just are saying that's just a symptom of whatever it is that I already have as opposed to its own disease. Mm. Um, Interesting. I'm not sure what's there. I've listened to a few things recently about CFS that have really registered with me, and I thought "Hmm, maybe I should get that investigated further. So I'm not sure where that will lead me. But um, at the moment, we're operating under the assumption that it's a symptom
2: yeah. Of,
1: of dysautonomia. So I got sick with mono. It never got better. I um, was really tired and I developed like really uh, pain, a lot of pain in my legs. And it was like touch sensitive and everything. And um, I was always like this really tough kid, right? Like I, I broke my arm in like the first five minutes of a soccer game and I played the rest of the game, didn't tell anybody about it. I just always had this high pain tolerance. But I got to the point where if anything brushed up against my leg, I would just start crying. Wow. And and this was months after I first got sick. And the doctors would keep saying, like, some people just take a long time to recover. And I'm so lucky that I had my mom to advocate for me. She was like, no, like, mono doesn't make people cry when you touch their legs. <laughs> like, yeah. there's something else going on here. And you're going to investigate it. Um, so I actually got the diagnosis of dysautonomia about seven months after I originally got sick, which for a lot of people, that's really fast. Yeah. Um, of course it didn't seem like that at the time. Uh, seven months seemed like a lifetime. And um, so uh, that doctor said it was dysautonomia and I don't know if it has developed since then, or if he just didn't have a full understanding of dysautonomia. But his understanding was that, like, it's there's pretty much three forms of dysautonomia: POTS, NCS, and general dysautonomia. And general dysautonomia was a disease in and of itself it, um, at that time. Or, but now it is not. It, they're like dysautonomia is this umbrella term that has all that, all these under, other diseases fit into, mm-hmm. but it's not itself a diagnosis. Um, and you can kind of pick symptoms out from every disease under the umbrella. And I have some of them, but not enough to have that particular <laughs> disease. So it's been kind of weird and uh, yeah. very ambiguous
0: frustrating it's like they're moving the goalpost it's like oh you have yes. dysautonomia it's like oh by the way we no longer think of dysautonomia the same way so you may still have it but we don't know which kind <laughs> right yeah so for anyone who's not familiar dysautonomia is referring to you know the autonomic nervous system which is the part of your body that you can't control that is you know telling your heart to beat and telling your blood to move and and all of these things i think t- telling your your beating heart is moving your blood. So, I think that's the same thing I just repeated myself. But, uh, <laughs> um, but dysautonomia means that some part of your autonomic, your automatic nervous system, basically, is not functioning correctly. And I've, I've learned a little bit about this as well. I'm actually being tested for a form of dysautonomia called small fiber neuropathy, which... It's a horribly named disease because it is not what it sounds like. (laughs) Um, So, I've been learning a lot about this recently and I was also tested for POTS, which it does not look like I have, although I have also had some issues with elevated heart rate. Um, And all this is just so complicated by the fact that it's just not well understood by doctors, you know, and it also like overlaps with the poor understanding of chronic fatigue syndrome or something like, you know, people developing POTS after mono or after, having COVID, all these things are, you know, there's something missing in our scientific understanding that will hopefully be accounted for someday. But in the meantime, things like this goalpost moving keep happening to patients where it's like, okay, a doctor's telling me this is what I have. I believe that's what I have, trying to move about my life. And then the science is changing. And then your understanding of your body changes along with it. Is that sort of like the experience for you that as science is changing, Your understanding of what's happening to you is being thrown into question and that just seems like very frustrating
1: yes yeah definitely and because i get these diagnoses of comorbidities Mm. um i actually uh, had a punch biopsy and was diagnosed with neuropathy and um, they said you know that's a Again, a symptom, uh, it's not the primary disease, it's, it's secondary, it's caused by something else. Well, what is it? I don't know. And um, so I would get these things that I think, okay, this is going to be the answer. I had an MRI and they said it's the Chiari uh, 1 malformation. Yeah, uh, A lot of POTS patients have that, they get the surgery and they're better. Well, I went to two neurosurgeons and they said, based on your symptoms, the surgery is not going to help you. Hmm. so don't bother with this. So I was like, okay, so, you know, I thought that's the answer. That's not the answer. And, um, so yeah, every time you get like, uh, you, you get what you think is a diagnosis and it is, it's just a secondary diagnosis and you're like, okay, so what is causing all of these issues? And I haven't been able to answer that question. And, yeah. It can be frustrating.
0: Yeah, totally. So you're in this place where there might be some underlying condition causing dysautonomia. You know, it might not even be, dysautonomia might not be the top echelon of the diagnostic tree.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've yet to figure that out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, this punch biopsy, was that for small fiber neuropathy? Were they looking for- It was, yes. Wow. Okay. And was that positive? Yes. Really? Wow. When you mentioned your legs hurting from the touch, Mm -hmm. I immediately, and you mentioned dysautonomia, I immediately started thinking about small fiber neuropathy because that's you know, something that I'm, I'm going to have this punch biopsy soon. We're trying to figure this out, but it's so rare that it's really hard to find a doctor who will even do that testing. Um, So what I've learned about it is that basically there's like some form of damage happening to your nerve fibers in your body and it's causing them to shorten over time. And you can actually, you know, pull out a piece of your skin, like a tiny little punch biopsy and look at the nerve fibers. And if they're shortened, then you have small, and you have pain and tingling and all those symptoms. Then you have small fiber neuropathy, but it is a form of dysautonomia. And you know, for me, we're looking at it because I have intermittent uh, issues using my legs, which can happen with um, small fiber neuropathy. It can cause all sorts of you know irregularities, like heart rate irregularities um, and sweat response irregularities. That's how we got clued into it for me is that I had a tilt table test and a full dysautonomia panel. And part of that was a, a sweat response test where they like put a, uh, a band around your arm and around your leg, and they run chemicals through it to burn your skin and test how long it takes for you to start sweating. And I had a very abnormal response in one spot, which can be a sign of small fiber neuropathy. And then it's most common in diabetes. Um, small fiber neuropathy is most common in diabetes. Uh, but it can happen in other with other diseases. I think it can happen with uh, with MS, if I'm remembering correctly. And for me, we're looking at it being um, a comorbidity with mast cell activation syndrome. Since I've been taking some medication for that and doing so much better, uh, we think that maybe those two diseases might be lining up for me, or maybe just one. Uh, we don't know. But that's kind of where we're at. But I read this article from this guy who has small fiber neuropathy, and it. I really resonated with it. And even just that disease alone can be really debilitating, uh, you know, and it also includes peripheral neuropathy, which is, you know, tingling and pain in your your um, right. your in your periphery and your like your hands and feet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's and Chiari malformation also like that's a serious situation as well. Um, so, it sounds like you have a lot going on, <laughs> but you yeah. yeah, you're just missing that like overall like why what the why of all of it
1: right and it's interesting which uh i didn't know a little bit of what you said about small fiber neuropathy um i had a not a great experience with the doctor who mm. diagnosed me with that um i didn't realize that it was a uh, pretty rare test um i was lucky i uh, was at the time living in uh, central pennsylvania by the penn state Hershey medical center mm. so we have a lot of Good doctors there. It's, you know, it's obviously a pretty well-known um, hospital, and um, so the neurologist that did my punch biopsy, she wouldn't continue my care. She uh, did did the punch biopsy, gave me some gabapentin, which I had already been on and did not respond well to, and I said, you know, I've been on this. My body doesn't react well to it. It's not something I can take. And she said, okay, well, if you're not willing to work with me, then I'm not going to continue your care anymore. Oh my God. And that was it. I wasn't allowed to see her anymore. She had said that I was not um, cooperating with care. So no one else in her office was allowed to see me anymore.
2: Wow. That
1: should be illegal. uh, That's criminal. Why can't I see? Why can't I see if you're you know, co-worker would want to treat me in another way? Why does it only, like, just because you don't want to see me, why can't I see if someone else in the office uh, would work with me? Um, so, yeah, I just, I didn't know what to do next. She, since I wasn't able to see the person that diagnosed me, I was like, I guess, I guess it ends here uh, for the neuropathy. And so, so I didn't, uh didn't get to learn as much about it as, um, as you have. and it's, So I hope that uh, you get some good care and that really takes care of things for you.
0: Yeah. Well, th- I mean, this just, this is a symptom of an issue where care is very uneven across the world, <laughs> around the world, you know, like the yes, level of care yes. you can receive in one place or another is so different. And I'm in Seattle by the university of Washington medical center, which is a, you know, a teaching hospital, um, which is amazing. And I've had really great care. This is the one spot where like nobody knows what to do. So like over here, (laughs) you know, I have one doctor who had even heard of small fiber neuropathy and recommended that I be tested for it. It's going to be another two months before I can see a neurologist who knows what it is. Um, But we still, I still have no idea how I'm going to get the punch biopsy done because like that's the next step. But from what my doctor has told me and from my own research online, like having small fiber neuropathy is a big deal, you know, like that's a huge piece of the puzzle. And if you, if you have been diagnosed with that, you know, it can happen on its own. It can be like by itself, but it can also be like, like everything else. It can also be a comorbidity or a sign of something else. Right. Um. So yes. yeah. Like, and that's
1: kind of what my primary care was treating it as just another yeah. comorbidity. And uh, so still, trying to attack the, the root rather than all these, you know, symptoms. So, uh, haven't, haven't been able to, to chase that down yet.
0: Yeah. But you know, it's never too late, you know, it, it's never yeah. too late to see, to try again, to see new doctors. I right. am disgusted that that doctor refused to see you because you didn't want to take gabapentin again. And I, I've been through similar yeah. things, you know, like I've, uh, taken Medicaid. Gabapentin was one of them. I, I took gabapentin did not like it did not feel like myself i i couldn't think felt like dull yes like i had no personality and i was like i I, this is not good you know i don't care if this is helping pain or not i can't tell because i can't think you know yes um definitely
1: (laughs) it sounds exactly like my reaction to it as well and And you know, I wasn't being obstinate about it either. I was like, I wasn't just refusing to work with her. I just said, I'm not going back on this medication. I've been on it, and it didn't it didn't work for me. So that's not something that I'm willing to do. But I wasn't rude or obstinate about it. But when I went to schedule a follow up appointment, um, they went, No, she's not willing to see you anymore because you refused to work with her.
0: Yeah, that's so upsetting. And I mean, I just I just went on Lyrica for months, um, and I had no idea if it was helping or not, and I actually started to have some real issues thinking, and I have brain fog to begin with, but I I started doing way better with my other medications. I'm like, I don't know which medication is helping. I missed a dose of Lyrica because I ran out, and my brain like turned back up a little bit. I was like, oh my, maybe the Lyrica is making it hard to think, so I went off. I just like took myself off of it, and my my cognitive speed like word back up a little bit and i had yes. no difference in my physical symptoms whatsoever so now i'm off but i i tried it for months i'd say like five months maybe um and really do not feel like it was making any difference at all but i also feel like it was sort of i kind of had to do it because i was seeing this great doctor who's like we're gonna try everything and i'm gonna i'm gonna look in, under every rock for you but i also need you to try Lyrica. Because sometimes that can help. And I kind of pushed back sure. against it a little bit. I was like, well, I've tried gabapentin. It's a very similar drug. Um, but then I just did it anyway. And I took it for months and months and months. And sometimes it feels like in order to get doctors to help you, you have to do things that your body is telling you were wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. I was on Lyrica as well. And, and again, I had very similar reactions to it. Um, but yeah, because when I was... So I got sick when I was 12. And so by the time I was getting close to 18, I think I was on like six different medications and I went like, I'm back to the point where I'm going to have to pay for my medications myself. And, you know, try to figure out how to uh, be able to be in the world as an adult. And with these medications, I can't think. and it was just to the point where there were so many medications. It was overwhelming. I didn't feel like any of them were helping. And they were all causing side effects. In fact, I probably two or three of the medications were to combat side effects mm. from the other two or three medications that I was taking. So I was like, I'm going to try something. I'm just going to take myself off all my medications. Um, my parents were fine with it. And, and so I did. And I felt better. Not worse. I felt better because just stacking one thing after another, it just didn't help. And I'm not against medication. If you can find something that's going to help you function better, that's great. Um, But I tend to get all the side effects and none of the benefits.
0: Yeah, that was my story up until this year. And I think it's because I'm finally, hopefully, taking the right medication.
2: And yeah, I'm hopefully. on a bunch, you know. I'm on yeah.
0: a bunch of medication, but it's all for uh, stabilizing mast cells. And every medication I add in for that, I feel better, and my functionality is skyrocketed. And yeah,
1: that's great.
0: Yeah, it's so exciting. And like, we—I still don't even have a diagnosis officially because I'm—I'm testing negative for mast cell activation syndrome. But the doctor said like the testing is really inaccurate, which is another wrinkle in all of this.
1: Yeah, I am a tendency to break out in, in hives at the random time at the most random times. So my doctor wanted to have me do a blood test for mast cell, but she said I had to have it, have it done when I, when I'm right. having a reaction Right. and and I don't drive. Um, and like I said, it's just the most random, unpredictable time. So it's, is someone else home with me? Is there a lab open nearby? Yep. And uh, you know, am I having the reaction at a time where I feel like I can get into the car and drag myself to the lab to get the <laughs> test? <laughs> and it's like, so all these variables, it's hard to even get tested. And then when you do get tested, like you said, who the it's hard because uh, the testing is not super accurate.
0: Yeah, totally. I, you know, I stumbled into it kind of backwards and it was actually like trying a low histamine diet that, and and me feeling so much better that that's kind of what got me in to talk to the mast cell specialist anyway. Um, because a lot of the testing isn't accurate. Now, he was even saying, oftentimes people just have to try the diet. If that helps, try the medication. If that helps, just keep taking it. And we'll just kind of assume that's what you have, even if we can't confirm it. Uh, because the whole thing is kind of a mess anyway, you know? Uh, yeah. But But I'm learning all these ways where you can test yourself for things through your own action, you know, like... Um, yes. Yeah, and like eating a low histamine diet is a, it's it's a hard diet to adhere to, and it takes a lot of study to figure it out. Um, but I found this great master list online of the histamine level in foods. And the, a big problem with it is that everyone reacts differently, you know? So, like, what, sure. what flares me up might not flare up someone else. So, like, some people say that mast cell activation syndrome can be a diagnosis of exclusion, which didn't make sense to me until I'm kind of living through that right now. It's like, well we might diagnose you with that just because this treatment is working. So, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, but I, I, and I'm 38, you know, I've been dealing with this on and off since I was in second grade. Um, oh, it's wow. been really serious since I was for the last like six years. And then I had a really serious flare up in my twenties as well, but I've had like periods of functionality in between. So wh- what has the shape of this been like for you? Has it been since you're 12 and forward your life, just like you snap your fingers, life is different. Um, and does, and has just like affected your functionality ever since, or has it gone in waves? Has it come up and down?
1: Um, so it, it has definitely affected me to a certain extent, um, since then, but it has gone up and down some, um, I was never able to play soccer again, never able to really run and be as active as i was um, but i did get to the point where i was able to work and i was actually working a lot at a very physical job um, just more than is healthy for a healthy person <laughs> and uh, so i did get a couple of years of um, being able to work and do some school i did go online uh, because it was just easier to do it when my brain was ready to do it and uh, not have to um, make my brain uh, try to work on the college's schedule, if that makes sense. Um, So I was able to do some of those things, but I did notice I was really starting to, it was really starting to affect me again. I was The uh, fatigue, brain fog, the pain, everything was just um, getting to a pretty unmanageable point again. And uh, shortly after I got married, uh, very shortly, maybe three or four months after I got married, um, my husband and I decided that I should leave the workforce. It was not, um, it just wasn't healthy for me. So I did... Uh, do that that was probably let's see seven years ago now, which uh, it's kind of hard to even say that's yeah. a that's a long time. Um, but that is what brought me back to my passion of writing, which is something I had since I was a little a little kid and um, so there's always, always good in the bad you know there's always mm. a silver lining and uh um being able to write again is definitely been um good for me and i hope that uh books like compass will help other people going through this journey um find the same thing that there's always something else another path to to um, to go down that will hopefully not just change your life and the way you see uh your situation, but maybe it can even help others too.
0: Absolutely. And that's such an important and horrible <laughs> lesson that you have to learn with chronic illness is sometimes you have to let go of your dreams. And yes. But it's not it's not as bad as it sounds because, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, I'm gonna be a musician, I'm gonna be I'm gonna go I'm gonna be a rock star. I'm gonna go on tour and i was you know working towards that i was playing shows in seattle i mean I, I was like living a piece of that dream and uh when my health flared up it was just over you know it's like you talking yeah. about soccer and yeah. and your character in your book talking about that loss of soccer you know um this is my passion this is the thing i'm going to do with my life and i know this is who i am and this is you know what makes me me and then it's just gone this thing that you've like right. built your life around is just gone. And for me, you know, with music, and I'm sure for you with soccer as well, it's not just that it's gone, it's that it still exists. And if you try to do it, it's awful.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. And and it's funny because, you know, I think some people they think well, you know, being a rock star, how realistic is that? Being a soccer star, how realistic sure. is that? Like, you know, there's a good chance that you might not have ever made it to the point that you wanted to be anyway. And it's like, that's, that's not the problem. The no. problem is not being able to try. Like, well the said. problem's not that it's, it, I couldn't accomplish it. It's that I, I just had that thing that I loved taken away from me completely. It's not about, you know, what I've made the Olympics. It's, you know, could I do the best at the thing that I love doing the most? Yes, and get the most out of it. And uh, so that's where the struggle comes in. Um, but you do find new passions, and it isn't the end of the world. Um, but 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 it is hard. It is a process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we live in this like success based culture where it's like, oh, you play soccer? Are you like, you know making your full-time living playing soccer cuz if not then you're a failure and that's <laughs> so wrong like the whole and for me with music it's like the level I was at being able to book gigs in Seattle and play all the time like that alone was living my dream you know like i yeah. played shows yeah. in Seattle that were living my dream and i had a lot of them and yes my dream's extended well beyond that i wanted i was never making a full-time living making music and my dream was to get there but that's that's because, you know, we are all sort of wired to believe that unless you make your full-time living doing your passion, then you're a failure, which is so wrong. It's like every single time that you played soccer, like every single game that you played was a piece of living your dream. And you did it, you know, the fact that you can't do it anymore doesn't change the fact that you used to do it. And you have those experiences and you got you got to live a piece of that. And when that is taken from you by force, by your own body, it is deeply disturbing. And, you know, I think we all kind of go through this adjustment period of like, wow, that was awful. And if that, if this fundamental piece of me can be taken away, you know, then life is meaningless. You know, it can be really hard (laughs) to bounce back from that. And for me, like trying to play music when I was really, really sick and it just being physically impossible or just like deeply painful. and you know, like, I couldn't sing anymore, and I couldn't, I couldn't sit up long enough to play the drums. Playing the guitar hurt my hands so much, it just, it just wasn't worth it. But inside of that, I discovered new passions, and, like, this podcast is a big piece of that. It sounds like your writing in your book is that for you, where it's like, I can completely do something totally different, something I never would have expected that I would do as a kid. This was, it was not my dream as a child to host a chronic illness podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know and if right. I told myself at 14 it's like you're gonna grow up and you're gonna host a chronic illness podcast I'd be like that is a nightmare <laughs> but now that I'm living it yeah. it's like bringing me more joy than almost anything I've ever done you know and it's a different type of joy than playing music and I can't compare them and I, I miss playing shows constantly and now that I'm doing better it's on the back of my mind it's like well can I go back to that I'm not sure I've been trying to work towards that I'm not there you know I'm Like just not being able to be consistent with your body. You can't really book a gig because you don't know if you can show up. Um, But, but, but the thing is, is that like, I'm happy, you know, and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And I, I so I have so much gratitude for what I have now that I didn't used to have. So like, it's, it's really kind of a bizarre path to walk, but I'm, I'm getting the sense that you've, you've had a very similar experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Because I was, you know, so young when I got sick, you know, I was 12 years old. So a lot of kids have dreams at 12 years old that don't necessarily have the rest of their life. Um, I had kind of a weird experience because the doctor that did diagnose me initially with um, dysautonomia said that I was likely to grow out of it.
2: Hmm. So
1: at first he said, oh, you'll, you know, you'll probably grow out of it by the time you're 16. Then you know you'll probably grow out of it by the time you're 18. Well, by the time you're like 20 or 21, you're, you'll probably grow out of it. And so you're just like waiting to get better, and it's mm. kind of it's kind of weird. And and I'm also realizing at that time, like, well, okay, even if I got better by the time I was 16, 17, 18 years old after not playing soccer for that long, I'm not going to have a future with <laughs> soccer. So like what is, you know, so trying to come up with a new dream. And um, I, I never found anything else that I had the same level of passion for. But when I was able to work, I was so happy because I was doing something. And I just like that. I think part of being an athlete that I enjoyed was the commitment, the hard work that you had to just go out there and um, give it your all all the time and um, and do the best you can. And it was very physical and I really enjoyed that. And so the first real job I had was very physical. And even though it wasn't anything special, I was uh, you know, pulling trash and cleaning bathrooms and I loved it. I just, I liked to work hard and hard work does not like my body. (laughs) Mm. And um, so it's like every, but every time I feel a little bit better, I think, well, you know, maybe I can go back to work. Maybe I can, I can do this. And then I realized like after four hours of being awake, I need to take a nap. So that's (laughs) probably not going to work out.
0: But you, but you have to, you have to listen to your body and, and when your body is not functioning properly because of chronic illness and you don't know why, you're the only person who can interpret what your body's telling you. Um, you know you can try to explain it to someone else, but that's so hard like I, this yes. isn't talked about enough. How hard it is to describe your physical symptoms to a doctor when you have no idea what's going on you know like yes like the yes. words the words that you use are going to be. The basis for what that doctor does next, and if you're not describing it in the way that they are used to hearing it in a medical textbook, which you likely aren't because you probably haven't read them <laughs> right then you're going to have no idea how to proceed and I, since i've started doing my own research about diseases and things i've actually discovered that if i if I read something about a symptom that's like okay well this is how you how this symptom is described in a textbook, then if I describe it like that, I can kind of lead my doctor towards testing for things that they wouldn't otherwise um, based off of how I'm describing the same thing in different ways. And I'm being honest. You know, I'm I'm just trying to find new ways to describe what's happening. This is like actually, I I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the show before. This is a technique that I've used of like. Trying to find new ways to describe the same thing to see if we can push into a new area of diagnostics.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's a great idea. Um, I think the other issue too with uh, just describing your pain is when, so if you struggle for a second, like uh, trying to come up with an, a a description for what you're going through, then they start throwing out like adjectives for you, and you're trying to like <laughs> match, like, like, okay, is my is does my pain sharp or is it you know or is it like achy like i don't know like i I, i'm not sure exactly what they're trying to ask me i mean that was kind of a bad example but no i get it like they're just 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 chucking all these adjectives at you like which one are you feeling and you're like i'm not sure any of those have anything to do with pain like i'm not even sure what you want me to tell you right now um it's very it's it is tough because they're they're told, you know, this adjective means it's this. This adjective means it's this. This adjective means it's this. Right. And you have to play the matching game on your own <laughs> to, to try to get them to understand what you're going through.
0: Yeah, totally. And, and and on top of that, there's so many diseases that have the same symptoms. You know, like right. I've been misdiagnosed with a, a handful of them just myself. <laughs> uh, now that I'm like thinking of everything through the terms of like mast cell flare ups. Um, it makes it a little bit easier for me to kind of parse through the information my body's been giving me over the years. Like now, if I eat something with histamine, I get like full body pain and then my functionality starts to decline and then I'll start to bounce back up. But before I was eating high histamine every meal because I didn't know any of this and I, I was in constant pain and constant bad functionality and I couldn't parse through the information because my brain was foggy. So, like, try, I, I just had no idea how to how to tell another doctor about it. First doctor's appointments, when you have to meet a doctor for the first time and I'd have to explain to them what I'd experienced, I would dread those for days and I would practice in my mind. And I'd still I'd get there. I'm like, I have no idea how to describe this thing because I don't have any frame of reference for what is happening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the uh the stress of that just makes the brain fog worse, so they kind of pile on top of each other, and it uh, just makes it really hard to yeah. get your point across. I, I read somewhere that uh, a doctor stops listening to the patient after like seven seconds on average. So you have like seven seconds to get your point across.
0: Wow, it's like, like being a YouTube content creator.
2: <laughs> if you
0: don't
1: yeah,
2: catch exactly. them in
0: seven seconds, they're gonna they're gonna flip to the yep. next patient. That's, that's really interesting. What's your, what is your, um, life like now physically? Like I, you know, we talked about when you were 12 and some of the things you've experienced, um, how is this manifesting for you in the present day?
1: Um, well, I still, I've got a lot of like pain and like weakness. Um, that is in foot pain with a neuropathy. Um, I have brain fog and fatigue and um, I will use, I use a walker if I go out. I don't usually, don't usually have to use it around the house but mm-hmm. if I need it, it's there and I use it when I, if I go out and if I'm going to walk, if I'm going to go anywhere where there's going to be, you know, any good amount of walking, then i use a wheelchair. Um, the, the fatigue, I just need a lot of either sleep or rest or, um, things like that. I've got blood pulling. I've got to have my feet up every, um, you know, every so often to, to help with that. Um, so it's just trying to figure out the things that I can do to help manage those symptoms to, to be able to write, to be able to you know, go outside on a nice day to do the things that um, make me feel good and, and make me happy and um, help me contribute something yeah. um, to the world.
0: I'm, uh, I'm so glad to hear that you are using mobility aids. That's massive, you know.
1: It took me a little while to accept the idea of something like that. Um, yeah. It's certainly, at first, it can be kind of a hit to your pride. And then you realize that it helps you and you can do more things if you just accept it. And um, I think that's really the key is that it's more important that you can live your life than how you live your life or how other people perceive you doing what you need to do so you can live your life.
0: 100%. Absolutely. So it's so incredibly important. What are the things that help you get through your day? Uh, obviously, mobility aids is one of them, but are, do you, you know, manage your sleep and your energy level and your diet? Are the things that that you have found to be helpful?
1: Yes, yes. Um, I have played with my diet quite a bit, and that's made a big difference. I'm, you know, always gluten-free, always sugar-free, and predominantly uh, dairy and grain-free and that has helped me tremendously uh with stomach issues brain fog um and probably a little bit with the fatigue although that's still quite an issue um the other thing is just taking taking a nap like a kindergartner just Mm. (laughs) when it's time to lay down it's time to lay down and um Not fighting it, just accepting that that is going to be a key part of the day to keep my my mood and my energy up. And um, so uh, not not fighting against that, which was hard because, like I said, I like to work. I like to be productive. And if you take two hours out of your day to lay down, um, you get a lot less done. Yeah. (laughs) So
2: uh,
1: that's (laughs) part of it. Uh, compression socks that it's made the world of difference for me there's something very important and um up until my my dog just uh my second dog just passed away recently and uh she was a huge part of getting through my day uh just just getting a hug from a dog or Mm. um you know, just, just having that companionship makes a big deal. So I'm, I'm sure I'll be getting another one sometime soon. But um, I do think that if you are living with chronic illness and uh, maybe you spend a lot of time alone with, yeah. uh, or, or even, if, even if you have uh, um, other people in your life, just the companionship of an animal, it, I think it can make a big difference. It certainly has for me
0: yeah absolutely um yeah unquestionably and there is the the consideration of like you know taking care of an animal can be very difficult as well yes especially if your energy is limited that can be a real challenge
1: yeah yes and that can be quite the conundrum for a lot of people um fortunately i you know i have my husband to help me out um you know, when I was younger, I had my my family, mm-hmm. but that is always a concern, and and it's something that I always have guilt with too. When I have have my dog, is like, is it getting enough exercise? Am I, you know, providing it with everything that it needs? Um, because because my abilities are limited, um, but you know, my dogs have always been very healthy and happy, and um, and they get what they. You know everything they need. Even, even if I, even if I, uh, sometimes feel like I'm not providing them with enough. Mm. Um, and certainly, they they need exercise and and a good diet and all of that. And I'm not saying that they don't. They definitely do. And you need to take that into consideration. But it's also important to note that dogs need companionship too, (laughs) you know, that's, that's part of what, you know, that's where they get a lot of their happiness as well. So, if you can provide that for them, that takes up a lot of the care that they need.
0: Yeah, so true. And similarly, you know, chronic illness has a lot of effects on human relationships. You mentioned leaving work a few months after your marriage. Um, And if you've been having issues since you were 12, then I'm guessing that you've been having Health uh, considerations ever since dating the the person you eventually married. You know, I'm sure that's been a topic of conversation. How have you um, navigated that inside of your relationship?
1: Yes, yeah, um, it was definitely something that I had to be, you know, upfront and honest about from the beginning. Like, you know, I've had these health issues when we started dating. I was I was definitely probably at my highest since getting sick, so I was pretty healthy at that time. We did a lot of um, more active things, uh, hikes or whatever, and I but I said, you know, I have this long history of, you know, chronic illness, and I don't know what the future holds for me. And I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow or, or the next day or, or two years from now. And and we kind of played it by ear for a while, and you know when I and I had definitely some bad moments while we were dating, lots of pain, just attacks of like my pain would just spike, and I would be in bed crying or whatever. And um, I kind of took that as it came. And uh, when we decided to get married, I was not doing quite as well, but still better than um, probably where I am now. And um, so that was a consideration. But uh, when we, you know, got married, we expected to have two incomes and very shortly after we did not. Um, but I'm certainly very blessed. My, my husband has always put my health above everything else. And, um, you know, it was his idea for me to stop working. It was actually his insistence that I stopped working. Um, and he said, you know, I'll figure it out. We'll take care of it. And, um, so I know that's not everybody's, um, that's not how everybody's story goes. Um, a lot of people have a lot of turmoil with the, um, tension that chronic illness can cause in a relationship. But uh, for me, my relationship has really been um, a help and uh, one of the best things that's helped me get through my chronic illness.
0: That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. So it sounds like in, in that period since you left the workforce is when you wrote your book. Um, yes. Is this your first book?
1: It's actually my second, but my first book is under a different pen name.
0: Okay. Yeah. What's your first book about?
1: My first book is uh, called My Dinner with the Founding Fathers. It's a historical fiction book.
0: Very different.
1: <laughs> Very different. Uh, hence the two pen names. <laughs>
0: yeah. And are you hoping to write more under under this name about chronic illness?
1: Um. So, I've started another book that's just a a cozy mystery. So, again, Mm. very different. Um, So, I don't know. I've got very eclectic interests. So, I don't know if I'll write any more about chronic illness or not. I certainly could see myself uh, doing more in that genre.
0: So, in in this book, your main character finds out they have pots, which you mentioned not having that, that you have some of the signs of, but didn't meet the criteria. What made you decide to choose POTS as the illness for the story?
1: I think that um, it is probably the closest thing to what I have, or at least um, it's kind of been associated that way when you, I mean, you know, some dysautonomia support groups or whatever, the majority of people in those have POTS. So I knew a lot about it. I could identify with a lot of the symptoms, and um, and I knew that it was a a illness that is kind of growing. And so I thought for the for that population to have a book that hopefully they can identify with would be a good thing.
2: Yeah,
0: that's awesome. It's so important to for other people to hear stories about people experiencing things that they've experienced. And like you said, POTS is a growing diagnosis. Not that more people are getting it, although that might be true, um, but that there is more recognition around it and more people are being tested for it because it was very underdiagnosed before. Definitely. And I think the same is going to end up being true of, you know, a mast cell activation syndrome, potentially small fiber neuropathy, you know, EDS is getting more popular as well i think a lot of these uh diseases are underdiagnosed because the science around them is relatively new like mcas is like a 15 year old diagnosis or something like that so a lot of doctors still don't believe it's real because if they didn't study it in medical school it's not on their radar um yeah so so you just never know i mean in your situation you know small fiber neuropathy is is a like that's a a very important finding the fact that you have that is and the fact that your doctor just like okay well that's a thing but we're just going to put that down really surprises me because my doctor told me he's like oh you showed a sign of small fiber neuropathy if if we can get that diagnosis that would explain almost all of your symptoms and that to me was like held up above me is like okay well that is something that could be a really important diagnosis if you if you get it so I feel like there's absolutely more to be learned there um, on your, not on your part, but on your doctor's parts, you know, like I really feel like your doctor needs to be, maybe it's time for a new doctor. Maybe it's time for, to find a specialist who understands small fiber neuropathy in your area. I don't know. I just feel like there's more there. And you mentioned like getting hives randomly and that's like a classic mast cell activation syndrome thing that I don't have. um, But you know it sounds like you've tried a million things and not yes, necessarily it feels hit, like it. yeah, and not necessarily <laughs> hit on the the thing that's really helped yet, so you've had to sort of adapt and learn how to live with it and learn how to find meaning in life, create meaning for yourself and find ways to feel productive and happy and you've done an amazing job at that, like a really amazing job at that. you wrote a whole book bu- two whole books at this point. <laughs> one of which is designed to help other people going through something like you to feel less alone and that is massive you know and it's and it's written for that uh young adult crowd which needs that support you know you and i both experienced being younger and not having any idea what was going on in our bodies and feeling very alone because of it so and i didn't i never saw any books about chronic illness when i was a kid <laughs> so i I just think that's fantastic. It's so cool, and I'm really enjoying the story. I like I said, I'm like a third of the way through. It's it's a quick and fun read, and I I recommend it. I think it's really awesome what you're doing. Um, I have to ask my favorite question. So, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself when you were 12 and you were about to stop playing soccer and go through this like horrific change in your life, where you're going to lose your favorite pastime and passion um and and with this whole dream wrapped up inside of it is there anything you think you could say to yourself based off of everything you've learned since then that you think might help
1: well first i would uh warn myself against uh putting any hope on the whole uh you're gonna grow out of it thing
2: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: uh just beyond that i would just say you know um there's always another path and um you know the sun shines on all of them
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, think you know there's something else out there that's you're going to find that you're going to enjoy and embracing it is the most important part because the more that you hold on to the past just the less joy that you're robbing yourself of the more when you're willing to move on and move forward um, that's when you're going to find a new joy and a new joy in life
0: Wow! Well said. So important, and so hard to um, to learn. You know, yes. I think that's the type of thing where if you're told that in the midst of losing soccer for you, you know, it's it would you would, yes. would be so mad.
1: <laughs> 12, yeah, exactly. Twelve year old me would just uh, you know clock yeah. clock uh, current <laughs> me in the face. But you're like, uh, damn you, future me. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but but everything you said is a hundred percent. That's it. Like, that's right. You know, I love what you said about the sun shines on all paths. There is joy in other paths. And if you're willing to embrace them, then you will be happier. And when you're fighting against your chronic illness, you are literally fighting your own body. It's not your body's fault. I I had this breakthrough a while back where I started to think about my chronic illness and my body the way that I used to think about my dog when he was alive, which is like, I love my dog wholeheartedly. He can't speak. He can't tell me how he's feeling. So, I need to listen to him without him using words and understand what he needs and provide it for him because I love him. And I started trying to think about my own body that way. You know, my body is telling me something is wrong and I don't know what it is. But if I can stop getting frustrated and fighting against it, maybe I can learn to listen to it and hear it and try to make some positive progress. yes that's
1: great advice very well said
0: thank you yeah it made a huge difference for me and that's around the time when i started using a wheelchair and getting out more and that was a huge part of me getting to a better spot medication helped. doctors helped um but you know switching my mindset up was a, a really really important part of that um well alexis you did such a fantastic job today i'm having such a blast talking to you so much fun um I just always, I never get sick of this. I never get sick of hearing other people's stories and just finding the commonality in, in all of our chronic illness experiences just continues to uh, surprise me. <laughs> you know, hearing people say similar things surprises me every time because I just went a whole lifetime never hearing it, you know? Um, so, it's been so fun today. Please tell us again where we can find you uh, if you'd like to share any social media and tell us where we can find your book.
1: Yes, um, you can find my book on Amazon or at underthesunpublishing.com. And Under the Sun Publishing is also on Facebook. You can find us there as well.
0: Awesome. And tell us again your uh, full name and the full title of the book.
1: Sure. I'm Alexis Klein, and the book is called Compass Points the Way.
0: Awesome. Well, Alexis, thank you again for sharing your time with us today. I'm so happy you came on the show. And please keep me updated. your story is not finished, you know, there's still so, so much more left unwritten in your story. And if you have updates on your health, if you, you know, see new doctors, find new pathways, please keep me updated because I'd love to catch up with people on the show in the future. Um, I wish you all the best in your journey. And I'm, I, I have to say like hearing your story, I, I empathize with you. I 100% believe you, you know, what you're going through is is absolutely a real thing. So many people are experiencing things that are similar, and doctors are telling us it isn't real or it doesn't matter, or refusing to see us because we wouldn't take Gabapentin. And that is messed up. <laughs> but, there are, <laughs> but there are great doctors out there. And you know, you've you've made huge progress like in, in figuring out what's going on. You've got all these different diagnoses, and I I believe you that there's something else um, yet to be found. The, maybe it's fr- it's like the tip of the tree From which all of these are growing But whatever it is I, I definitely encourage you to keep searching And keep fighting Because you've made so much progress And I, I really believe that there's more out there
1: Thank
0: you Yeah And thank you so much for coming on the show And sharing your time with us
1: Thank you for having me Appreciate it
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain I'm Jesse Mercury Your host and the producer of this podcast Artwork by Egg Salad Salad Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com.
2: pain podcast.